Welcome to Geopolitics Decanted. I'm Dimitri Alperovich, Chairman of Silverado Policy Accelerator, a geopolitics think tank in Washington, D.C. In today's episode, we're going to talk about the Starlink saga, which has been brought back into prominence, of course, because of the release of Walter Isaacson's biography of Elon Musk, where he primarily talks about the case of Crimea, this attack that the Ukrainians were planning with the sea drones to attack the port of Sevastopol, and the last-minute call to Elon Musk to activate Starlink over Crimea. And I have a great guest who is also an occasional co-host of Geopolitics Decanted, Patrick Gray, with me here, who hosts his own cybersecurity podcast, Risky Business. And the reason why I wanted to bring back Patrick this time as a guest is because he and I have both been tracking these Starlink developments extremely closely since the very beginning of this war. And he actually had some very accurate insights and predictions at the time into the problems that would arise from Elon's gift to the Ukrainians. So, Patrick, welcome to the show. Thanks a lot, Dimitri. Now, Patrick, before we jump into all things Elon and Starlink, I do have a big announcement to make for my audience, which is that I have a book coming out. It's called World on the Brink, How America Can Beat China in the Race for the 21st Century. This book is all about the solutions for how we can avoid what I believe is one of the top national security concerns of our time, avoiding catastrophic war with China over Taiwan. This book has a lot of history in it, looking at the beginnings of the Cold War, or Cold War I, as I call it, because I do believe and make the case in the book that we're now fully in the midst of Cold War II. It also looks deeply at the history of China and the history of Taiwan, and I try to analyze the lessons we've learned, of course, from the war, Russia's war on Ukraine, and see which ones make sense and don't for Taiwan. This book makes the case that we absolutely must deter this invasion from ever taking place. So if you're interested in topics like history, grand strategy, military strategy, trade, semiconductors, supply chains, critical materials, and much, much more, I think you might like this book. It's going to be out next year, but uh, the link to pre-orders will be in the notes below this podcast. But let's jump into Starlink now. And Patrick, it might be worth going back to the very beginnings of how did this system become so prominent in Ukraine. And it all starts with Viasat, right? Yeah. It all started with this American communications company that acquired a European communications provider, satellite communications provider, and was providing services to Ukraine and other Eastern European states. And they were hacked in the early beginnings of the war. In fact, a few hours before the invasion actually began on February 24th, 2022, the terminals were bricked. Ukrainians were in desperate shape, not just because of Viasat, but because their traditional communication systems were being targeted with airstrikes and missile strikes and jamming by the Russians. And they very publicly reached out on Twitter to Elon Musk for help. And he actually helped out, right? And that's where the problem began. And you identified this, I think, literally in the next episode after it became public that Elon Musk had provided Starlink. And you said what? I said he doesn't realize what he's just done, uh, basically, is, is what I said, because it was really clear that something like Starlink was going to be used by the military. And I, I believe that 
Elon Musk's decision to supply Starlink units to Ukraine was rooted in the best of intentions. Um, like, I really do believe that. He was thinking, let's make sure that their schools stay online. Let's make sure that people in Ukraine have free access to information while this war unfolds. Uh, you know, let's make sure people can communicate outwardly as well and keep telling us what's going on in this horrible conflict because it clearly was a priority for the Russian military to knock out Ukrainian comms, right? As many internet service providers and telcos. So, you know, Starlink moving in uh, to to prevent Ukraine being cut off was going to be great. But of course, what happened is Russia was not successful in knocking down uh, uh, Ukrainian comms. I mean, not in a widespread uh, manner, at least. And they, they have tried via kinetic and cyber means. So, I mean, obviously, this... Starlink gear went straight to the front and it's being used for things like artillery correction and is being described as just the best thing since sliced bread by the Ukrainian military. And and this caught Musk by surprise and it absolutely shouldn't have because it was extremely obvious that this is what was going to happen. And what is the problem uh, that you identified in those early days with Musk's equipment being used for military purposes? Well, I'll admit that I got one thing quite wrong uh, f- first off the bat which is which is that I thought that Russian electronic warfare systems would be actually quite good at uh, uh, locating these units and that hasn't been the case I mean I just thought if you're sitting up and an- I, look I understand that these things are directional antennas that point straight up into the sky and and uh, you know essentially send a pencil thin thin beam straight to a Starlink satellite but I also understand uh, a little bit about antennas and that they leak uh, radiation and that um, you know I, it was my expectation that Russian EW systems would be able to locate them. For whatever you actually reason, have a background in this, right? You studied this field in college. Just by, by education, yeah. So I, I always was not particularly good at antenna design, but I understand the basics um, when, when I did my degree, right? So, uh, but, you know, a lot of that's hideously out of date now, which is why I'm being careful with uh, how confidently I'm expressing this. But, uh, you know, so that, that was just absolutely something that I, um, that I got wrong. You know, we, we don't know why the Russians have not been able to jam Starlink more effectively, but you know, one reason might be that the systems that they've deployed at the front, you know, hardware-based systems, maybe they're not tuned to the right frequencies and maybe the hardware needs to be modified to accomplish that mission. And of course, that takes a long, long time to redesign stuff, to redeploy it to the front. The feedback loop in the Russian procurement infrastructure is not that great, almost certainly. So they may not be getting real-time information from the front about what needs to be modified and how urgent that is. So that probably contributed to, to some of that delay, right? Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure how feasible it is to actually uh, block you know, and jam Starlink. I think that would actually be quite difficult, um, but certainly detecting the location of Starlink terminals where you've got these drone operators who are providing real-time video feeds to artillery crews uh, uh, from their drones, right? Like that would be uh, something obviously that the Russian military would be quite interested in. And I, I have a feeling that it can be done, but as you point out, like that's an engineering project. That's not just a matter of altering a few lines of code in a Russian EW truck. I mean, it might be, I don't know. I don't have a, an amazing knowledge of the intricacies of Russian EW, but uh, I'm guessing that there's going to be some work done there. But 
they will eventually catch up with it. They're probably, my guess is, not using software-defined radios in those systems and everything is pretty hardwired and not using yeah. cutting-edge technology. I mean, that's not unique to the Russian military, certainly even in the U.S. military. It takes many, many years to adopt some, some of the technology that comes out of Silicon but, Valley, but, but, let's say. Look, I just realized I've been, I've been going off on a tangent here. You asked me what the biggest problem was. And the biggest problem was that Musk painted a giant target on Starlink as soon as he committed to providing these resources to Ukraine and they started being used for military purposes against Starlink's terms of service, uh, funnily enough, right? Like this was not why he provided this stuff. Now, it was funny because I said this on, on, on my podcast. I said, I don't think he knows what he's doing here and I think he's just made a, a, a big mistake. Um, I mean... You know what he was doing, and the, the reason for that is that when you look at others that are providing aid, particularly aid that's going to use by the military to Ukraine, it's not private sector, right? Lockheed is not supplying HIMARS to Ukraine. Lockheed is selling it to U.S. government. U.S. government is supplying it to Ukraine or other allied countries. And here, you had a direct relationship between a private entity, uh, SpaceX, and Ukraine. Yeah, that's right. And and I mean, you know, our joke is that, uh, you know, cryptocurrencies and that whole ecosystem has speed run over the last few years why we need financial regulations. And in some ways, this whole situation with Starlink is is the same thing, but for, you know, regulated arms control and like military contracting. Uh, because that's, that's exactly right. Like, you know, you had this crazy situation where Musk provided something that quickly became vitally important to the Ukrainian military, even though it was against the terms of service. He couldn't pull the plug on it because he would have been, you know, in like just his reputation would have been wrecked at that point. It's not even clear that he wanted to because even though in the Walter Isaacson's biography, he claims to be shocked back in September of 2022 that his system is used at the front, that wasn't a secret. In fact, there were plenty of open source reporting uh, that this was happening. And I know also for a fact that he personally knew that because I saw someone shared with me a letter that Zeluzhny had sent to Elon Musk back in the summer of 2022, months before he claimed to have been shocked that Starlink was being used by the military, outlining how critical it was at the front and how critical it was for very, very specific military purposes. So he was fully aware. And I think at the time he was probably thinking, fantastic. This thing not only helps hospitals, it helps Ukraine in their ability to thwart off the Russians and, and their offensives and potentially help them retake territory. And then for whatever reason, he realized, oh, this could be a problem, well, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I think also we can't discount the possibility that he was having immense pressure put on him by various, you know, representatives of the Russian Federation, right? Like, I, it would not be surprising at all if they said, you know, this probably isn't something you want to do, really. Uh, this isn't something you want to go further with. <clears throat> but, you know, I will say too that after I said, you know, after I raised these questions initially, I did have some very smart people come back to me and say, well, you know, probably what he's trying to do is bolster Starlink's reputation as a military-capable uh, uh, service, right? And if you looked through government contracting records and whatnot, you could see that various bits of the US military, some of them have bought a few units here and a few units there. I mean, I suspect that the intended use for those uh, units was more about giving the grunts access to Netflix than it was about doing drone-based artillery collection uh, correction. I'm sorry, uh, but you know the the, the idea. Both. 
Yes, exactly right. Um, but you know, the idea was, you know, people were saying to me, "Well, you know, maybe he's, he's he knows exactly what he's doing and he's trying to prove its worth." But I don't think that's really the case. But it is interesting that late last year, I think it was November or December, um, uh, SpaceX announced a new product called Star Shield. Well, we'll and get we'll get to Star Shield in a second, Patrick. Okay. But okay. I, I want to get a little bit more specific into the various things that have been happening with Starlink because I think much of the reporting and analysis that you've seen in the media is very, very superficial. It's all sort of, you know, Elon bad. Elon doesn't know what he's doing. But the truth is a little bit more complicated. Well, I mean, both, both, of those, both of those things can be true, but there is more nuance in this, uh, in this story yes. for sure. So, so going back to that history, Ukraine reaches out to Elon. He happily ships Starlink terminals to Ukraine. In fact, there are pictures of the mayor of Kiev, Klitschko, with a Starlink terminal, various ministers thanking Elon, posting pictures on Twitter before it was called X. And at the same time, it was not just Elon that was shipping those terminals. As those terminals started to get used in Ukraine and people started to realize that these were actually pretty instrumental communication devices, lots of other private and public sector folks came in and started funding Starlink terminals and Starlink services. So I know the UK government has provided some terminals and paid for their service for a period of time. USID in, in the US did the same. You had private charities that have been raising money and shipping terminals to Ukraine. So you had a hodgepodge of terminals. Some literally signed up with individual credit cards that were being used in Ukraine, some, some that have been bought by the Ukrainians themselves. So it's not that Elon was only controlling the service that he was shipping for free to Ukraine. There were definitely terminals and, and paid services that were being used as well. So that's point number one. Point number two is that the focus of the story right now is this Crimean attack. And I'll say something pretty controversial. I think you actually agree with me on this, Patrick, but he was within his rights to actually say no to Ukraine, right? Because... The service was off in Crimea, at least that's what Walter Isaacson has alleged once he's rewritten part of the part of the book that deals with this issue. Elon Musk says the same. I think it makes sense. I believe them because Crimea is a sanctioned territory. U.S. companies are not allowed to provide service there. So it would make sense that the default service in Crimea would be off. Ukrainians were launching this attack, probably weren't thinking that the service would not be usable there, realized it halfway through urgently started calling Elon, and Elon said no. Now, I don't endorse the reasons for him saying no. You know, he was talking about this potentially launching World War III, and since then talking about how this would be the next Pearl Harbor. I think what he was really worried about was the risk to SpaceX. And I think the risks to SpaceX from agreeing to expand the geofence to cover Crimea would have been real risks. And, and he actually talked about a, that, right? Recently, he said, yes. no one is, is paying me for the risk I'm taking to SpaceX. That's right. I mean, there was a, there, just a massive amount of risk that you can actually price, and the cost would have been too great. And he never agreed to provide the terminals for this type of use in the first place. So I hate to say it, but I'm on his side. And I think 
just the reaction to this story, which was initially misreported by Walter Isaacson, because uh, the the initial story that came out said that he actually disabled the service when he discovered that this attack was occurring, which is not actually true. He just refused to, you know, they they rang him up and said, we're going to send some naval drones in to blow up a bunch of Russian Navy ships. Can you please expand your service area? And he said, no way, are you nuts? And uh, to be quite honest, I think he's perfectly within his rights to do that. And if he had not... And if he had have gone ahead and supported this action, SpaceX would have become a, a much higher priority target for the for Russia's security services. Well, you there know. are actually I mean, a couple of is, issues is, here, right? Do you want to get Novichoked? Because this is how you get Novichoked, basically. Well, maybe, but there, there are a couple of problems here, right? One is that it would have actually been technically illegal for him to activate service in Crimea without U.S. government approval, which he did not have at the time, and he says he has not gotten since. It would have been in violation of sanctions to do so. So that's point number one. And point number two, you know, regardless of the risk and and his evaluations of the risk, it is his right as a private sector entity to say that this is a violation of my service and I'm not going to do this, right? Imagine if the Ukrainians, you know, it's widely reported that the HIMARS systems that the U.S. has provided to Ukraine have been limited in range to prevent them from hitting too far and, and impacting Russian territory. Imagine if the Ukrainians call up Lockheed and say, hey, can you disable that modification and activate a longer range? Well, Lockheed would say, no, we're yeah. not going to do that, right? It would be illegal for us under U.S. law. And, and two, that's, that's not our business to do this sort of thing. Look, I actually have some sympathy for him here because I do feel like he's being targeted unfairly. And look, I say this as someone who doesn't really like Elon Musk. Uh, You know, I have very different politics from him. I think he says a lot of really, really dumb and damaging stuff. I don't like the guy. Uh, But I just feel like in this instance, he's just been punished for making the only decisions he could make. And it all stems from that one simple act very early on where he's like, they need connectivity. Let's send them some Starlink. You know what they say, like the road to hell is paved with good intentions. And this is just such a great example of that. Yeah. All right. Well, so that was the Crimea case. And, and I think that's the case that he's been blamed for right now. And, you know, I think both of us agree it's, it's actually unfair. I don't agree with his reasonings for why he declined it, but he was fully within his rights to do so. What I have a problem with is something else that he did that is not getting much attention today because the story is kind of getting all conflated into this messy ball that is hard to untangle. But something that I actually broke on Twitter back in September of last year when I learned from my sources that the Ukrainians were discovering that suddenly in their efforts to retake her song, they were encountering geofencing that all of a sudden went up along the front line. And as they were advancing, they would suddenly get out of range and be without connectivity, which is, of course, essential when you're doing offensive operations to communicate back to headquarters, to communicate with units to the left of you, to the right of you, to range artillery and communicate with your drones and so forth. And the fact that he did it, and he has never explained why he did that, right? He explained the Crimea case, but he never talked about the geofencing along the front lines. The fact that, at least from what I've heard from the Ukrainian side, that this was done all of a sudden and with no notice, and that people almost certainly have died as a result of that action, I do find that unconscionable. And, you know, if you're going to do that, and if you, you know, again, he has his right to turn off service wherever he wants, but you don't do it all of a sudden 
and you don't do it without advance notice and, and you better have a good reason for doing so. And I think that is a much, much bigger problem than Crimea, both ethically, morally, and in terms of real effects on the Ukrainian forces. I mean, I agree with you, uh, but I think the nuance here is that a guy like Elon Musk or any one individual should not be put in a position where they're making those sort of decisions unilaterally about the availability of communications on a front line in a war. And that's the point, isn't it? You know, this should not be a function that is fulfilled uh, by a company under the control of one person, ever. Even under the control of a, 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 of a listed entity, okay? You know, even if, say, SpaceX was some publicly traded company, you know, it's only going to be answerable to shareholders. It's not a regulated technology in the same way that stuff from, like, Lockheed Martin is. Okay. Yeah, and so again, like Lockheed Martin does not decide whether HIMARS go to Ukraine and because what the of regulation. Range of are. Yeah. And, and this is what I'm saying, right? Whereas, you know, if SpaceX were just a, a publicly traded company, it would only be accountable to its shareholders, you know? So it probably wouldn't have sent this stuff in the first place. Like, let's be honest, right? Um, so, you know, it's just such a weird situation. But I do feel like, in some ways, Musk has done us a favor in that he has proven, and look, I agree, it's like diabolical um, to just sort of cut service on the front line. Like, I absolutely agree with you. But again, I, I sort of think that misses the bigger point here, which is that, like, why are we letting, you know, why, why are we in this situation where someone like him can just make that decision unilaterally? Like, that's just crazy. So this is what I was getting at before when I was talking about speed running. Right, so we've got to this point where we realize this is nuts, and obviously, someone from the United States government has sat down with someone from SpaceX and said, "Look, why don't we have our own version of this?" And you know, that's going to be tremendously important. Now, it's not entirely clear to me what Starshield is actually going to be because when it was initially announced in uh, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna interrupt you again because we're going to get to Starshield in a minute, but <laughs> there's one more element of this, and perhaps one of the most important elements of the story that is no one is talking about which is driving me absolutely nuts. And that is in September, you know, early September, I actually asked on Twitter of Elon Musk, is it true that you're geofencing areas at the front lines? He, of course, never responded, but other reporters picked it up and soon got their own independent confirmations that this was indeed happening. And that's when I knew people in U.S. government were getting engaged with Elon Musk, trying to figure out what was going on, trying to ask him to turn off the geofence. And the response from SpaceX was, and, and frankly, I think it was a legitimate response of, hey, this if you want to use this system for military purposes, be our guest, but buy it, Pentagon, and then you can be controlling geofence, um, where it's going to be turned on and off. We well, want to be out of he that did business. Want the, he did want them to pay the insane uh, rate for the primo tier as well, which was, and look, I kind of think fair enough, given the amount of money that was being spent on aid to Ukraine and given the the value of Starlink to the Ukrainian military, I think it was kind of reasonable of him to ask uh, for a decent payment, particularly considering the risk that this was going to introduce to SpaceX's operations. Um, so I do, I do think that was reasonable. There were also weird situations where some of the terminals, like you mentioned, some were provided by the British and some by these people and some by those people. And some of them, you know, the people who donated them just stopped paying the monthly bill and people expected SpaceX to sort of pick up the tab on that. So I kind of get why they got salty and wanted some money from the US government to keep these things ticking over. But at that point, the whole thing came across as extortion. 
You okay. know, so it just got and, him and of deeper course, into a PR nightmare. Of course, defense contractors never, ever overcharge. So this is absolutely outrageous. And no one has ever yeah. done that in the history of I, US I, I, defense that, procurement. That's what I think he was thinking, which is like, come on, you're giving gajillions of dollars to all of these other people. And what, you can't pay the the top tier service for this thing that is, is really important. Yeah. So just such a top down weird situation. But- the point that I was trying to make is, and, and this is a question that has not been asked and that has to be asked and, and needs to be answered. Why did it take the Pentagon nine plus months to get a contract signed with SpaceX, which, with SpaceX, which they finally did in June of this year, where they could finally take over the geofence and provide service to the Ukrainian military that would not be answerable to the whims Buddy, of Elon Musk. Are you serious? You're saying nine months for the Pentagon to procure something is slow? Well, you know, a lot of things have happened in this war very, very rapidly in terms of delivery of particular weapon systems, procuring of some very advanced capabilities. And I was told that very, very senior people in the Pentagon were paying very close attention to this. I know very senior people in the White House and on the Hill were working this issue. So with all of the attention and with all the criticality that this one system that is absolutely essential to the Ukrainian war effort, perhaps more so than virtually anything else that we've provided, why it took nine months with a constant drumbeat of the media talking about Elon Musk and the Starlink geofencing issues and everything else, why it took this long to get this done is a really good question and someone has to answer that in the US government. So, you know, I think, well, I think Elon. I think I think Dimitri that the Pentagon is 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 used to doing business with Lockheed Martin and Raytheon and all of those. You know, they're not used to doing business with SpaceX. Well, they they are because they use SpaceX extensively to send up all kinds of classified satellites into space. So they do have contracts, not on the Starlink side, but certainly on the on the rocket launch side. I mean, SpaceX gets majority of its funding from U.S. government, from NASA, and from DOD. So I think that's that's a little bit. Uh, of a red herring. And and it, frankly, you know, this has been brought to the attention of Secretary of Defense Austin. So you had the highest person in the Pentagon that was well aware of this, that's been briefed on this, I'm told. And the fact that it hasn't happened for such a long period of time, I think is really shocking. So while all the blame right now is being directed at Elon, and I think, as we just talked, he certainly shares some of the blame, at least in terms of geofence and at the front line, a bunch of it, I think, needs to be directed at DOD and the Pentagon as well, and they need to answer for this. But sure. let's let's finally bring bring. Well, Star hang on, Sh- no, no, okay. let's not talk about Star Shield, Dimitri. My turn to stop you talking about Star Shield. It's probably worth telling people where that whole geofence situation wound up, and where it wound up is that these days. Um, if Ukrainians advance along a section of the front, they do now have points of contact where they can get in touch and actually have that geofence adjusted. I mean, that's right. That's what you've learned from your sources, right? Yes, that's right. So they, they did establish a communication channel where Elon was basically telling them, when you capture a certain area, tell me and I'll activate the geofence. That is still highly, highly problematic because they're not going to tell them in advance where they're going to launch the offensive. They're not going to know how far they're going to get before the comms get out. So yes, it's a partial solution, but it's not a great solution. I know the Ukrainians are not happy with it at all, or were not happy with it when it was taking place. So he thinks that it was great because he can now confirm that they've captured a village and he can activate Starlink there. But uh, their problem is they want 
Starlink over that area before they capture it so that they can coordinate drone strikes, get the real-time feeds from the drones and everything else. Yeah. And that's what's not happening. Now, the reason, the, reason, the reason I diverted you there, right, is because now we can talk about Starshield because what we need, Dimitri, what we need is some sort of equivalent service, don't we? We need an equivalent service to Starlink that doesn't get hampered by commercial considerations. We need a, a, an equivalent to Starlink where the decisions are made based on policy objectives, right? And not just commercial considerations and um, weighing risks to the enterprise, right? And so, yeah, late last year, SpaceX announced that they were, they were spinning up this thing called Starshield. And it, wa- it wasn't really clear at the time um, whether this was going to operate based on its own satellite network or whether or not this was just some sort of service layer being provided on top of the existing Starlink network. And it looks like, based on some recent tweets from Elon Musk, that Starshield is... I mean, he actually said it's going to be owned and operated by the United States government. And this wasn't part of the announcement. So, in effect, he is moving away from being a service provider to... DOD, where they're paying him every time he launches something into space or paying for Starlink service. Now he is becoming a more traditional defense contractor that builds capability that is then going to be yes. owned by the U.S. government, right? So, for example, the space shuttle was built by a variety of contractors, but it was owned yes. by NASA at the end of the day, right? So this is going to yeah, be that's right. Starship. And, you know, this is why I kept mentioning speed running. You know, like... We've seen all of these shonky crypto exchanges stealing people's money. And it's like, oh, that's right. That's why we need financial regulation. And every single historical financial crime that you could think of basically got rediscovered by crypto people and uh, put into action. And we've just completely discovered why all of these rules that, you know, if you didn't have that history might seem a little bit nuts. And we kind of done the same thing with Starlink. And it's like, oh, that's right. Okay, that's why we have you know, government-owned defense facilities and, and, and uh, technologies, right? So, yeah, uh, in, in comes Starshield. But it was only after the Isaacson uh, biography excerpts came out that Musk tweeted that this thing was going to be owned and operated uh, by the US government. I do find that very interesting because, look, I think it's a good solution. He said it's going to be a smaller network because it'll have fewer users, right? But I think every country in the world at the moment is now looking at this and realizing that it's a capability that they need and it's a sovereign capability that they need. And they've watched the way Musk has behaved through this whole thing. And they're looking at that and saying, we're not going to rely on that guy. No way. Well, there's one specific country that I know for a fact has been paying very close attention because I've talked to them extensively about this. And that place is Taiwan, where I'm going to be going in a few weeks, actually. And I had a conversation with them back early last year when the war was still in its early innings. And they wanted some of my thoughts on what has been happening in Ukraine. And one of the things they really wanted to discuss was communications and Starlink. And it was before the geofence went up, before this became a controversy, they actually asked me, do you think that Starlink would be a good source of backup communications for Taiwan? Because virtually all the communications going into Taiwan right now are undersea cables that can be easily cut by Chinese naval assets. And basically, aside from a couple of satellites that they have, they would be completely dark on the island in the case of invasion. So they were asking me, could we use Starlink? And I said at the time, absolutely not. This was before the geofence. I'm like, you cannot trust Elon Musk just given all of his interest in in China, 
in terms of Tesla's business and everything else. And of course, you know, a couple of months later, he has made comments about how Taiwan really belongs to China. And yeah, you wouldn't want you wouldn't want to buy your backup comms from that guy, right? But it's it's not just Taiwan. I understand that Taiwan's on the sort of shortest horizon towards possible conflict, right? Like it is a it is a place where everyone's paying attention to because things are a little bit dicey for Taiwan at the moment. But this is also a concern for Australia. I mean, we're spending uh, we're in the process of uh, kicking off a defense program involving nuclear submarines that's going to cost uh, you know hundreds of Orcus. billions of dollars. Orcus, right? So gee, I wonder I wonder why we're doing that. Um, you know, could that have something to do with China? Uh, you know, we're in this absurd situation where, um, you know, Australians, quite a, quite a lot of them feel that AUKUS hasn't been appropriately explained uh, to, the, to the people here, to voters here. But the funny thing is the government can't really explain it because if they just come out and tell people, it's because they're worried that China's going to start sinking uh, you know, ships bound for Australia from Southeast Asia, and we need to have some sort of long-range strike capability. All that's going to do is annoy Beijing and cause us all sorts of grief. So it sort of just goes unexplained, with a bit of a wink and a nod. But this is a concern for us as well. Say we want to build some sort of sovereign, you know, s- uh, satellite internet capability that is beyond legacy tech, right? Which is very laggy. You know, geostationary uh, uh, satellite internet is terrible and always has been terrible. And I think, you know, Starlink's shown us that you can actually have usable internet, uh, uh, you know, which is great for civilian you, You're actually a customer of it, right? You're using it all the time. Sort of. I've bought the hardware um, because I like to go I like to go camping. And um, I, I want to take some trips into some areas where there are no comms. Obviously, Australia is a very big place with not many people in it. And there's a lot of places where you can't get comms. Yeah. But I did buy the Starlink hardware so I can turn it on when I'm, when I'm out. I haven't actually used it um, while I've been out camping yet, uh, but that'll probably change this summer. And the reason, you know, most people don't appreciate why is Starlink so unique. I mean, there are multiple reasons. The key one is it's just so easy to use, right? You don't have to align the dish to a particular satellite. There's satellites, thousands of them, I think over 4,000 now circling the globe. And you just literally point it up and it will find the satellite and you don't need to be an expert to get it up and running literally in a few minutes. No, it's, a little, it's got a little motorized motorized antenna that'll find the satellites for you and it works extremely well. And I mean, look, as, as a consumer products uh, person, Musk is, you know, makes amazing things. And yeah. Starlink's kind of got that, that technology magic about it as well. But this is why, this is why countries like Australia are not going to go and just subcontract this out to Starlink. So that, you know, that begs the question, well, how do we get this capability? Do we partner with the United States and try to take an equity position in Starshield? Are they going to run it as a state-owned enterprise or is it just government property? Then you've got OneWeb, right, which is a competing service. It's not quite as good as Starlink, but the Brits bought an equity position in OneWeb so that they would have some sort of control over this and sort of turn it into a somewhat sovereign capability. So this is an issue that countries... And Amazon is working on building their Cooper system, although they haven't sent up any satellites just yet. But, you know, in a few years, you could see lots of alternatives developing. But just to finish my thought, Starlink is, A, very easy to use. You you can learn it in five minutes. Two, high bandwidth, much higher bandwidth than, than other alternative systems that you've seen in the past. And three, as you've talked about, harder to jam if you're using it for military communications. So that's why it's so essential in Ukraine and there are so few alternatives to it. But, you know, with Starshield, you know, you mentioned that, well, maybe Australia can get an equity position in Starshield, but it could also probably just contract with Elon Musk to send up a bunch of Starlink satellites that Australia would own and operate. And, Too expensive. You know. Too expensive. 
We're yeah. a country of like 25 million people, Dimitri. You know, that would be too expensive. So I think we're going to see, uh, you know, we're going to see this being a capability that's going to be shared. I mean, you know, there's a Five Eyes Alliance. Let's look to that. Uh, for, for our contributions, I think would be a sensible thing. Great way for us to save some money. Well, um, I, don't know, I don't know that I agree with you because he said recently, I think in the last couple of weeks, that the entire Starlink system cost him about $10 billion, which, you know, in the grand scheme of things is, is not a massive amount, but that's 4,000 satellites. It's the development and R&D costs for that. So if you're just buying a few satellites to cover Australia, maybe, I don't know, how many you need, but well, I mean, Australia 100. is the size of the contiguous United States, right? Which is um, people you tell pe- people in the United, United States they don't realize that because on the globe it looks yeah, quite small, yeah. But, but you live on the big. coast, so there's no one that's living in the center center of Australia, pretty much, right? Yeah, so. but for military applications, like we're going to need it in quite a few places, right? And and you need these things move around. You need a lot of them to maintain coverage, right? It, it gets expensive. Yeah. That's but it's I'm probably thinking. not going to be ten billion dollars, and you guys can afford a billion or two. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I, 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 but do we want to operate something like that or is there strength in numbers? The point is, these are the conversations that are happening now. And the reason that they're happening is because Musk, like an idiot, uh, blundered into this Ukraine situation and, you know, he made a mess of it, but still managed to help them. And that's the crazy thing. Like, I just am left not knowing what to think. I'm like, well, clearly Ukraine's better off, even after he pulled access on Kherson. Even after he didn't expand the geofence in Crimea, Ukraine is unquestionably better off with Starlink. I, I would as hate to, to see without. how this war would go without Starlink. Exactly right, like like it has provided Ukraine with an edge. The things they're able to do with artillery correction, right, like that is giving them space age accuracy uh, with with their artillery because they are able to observe hits. So they've got a forward team with a Starlink dish. Uh, you know, and a drone, and they can backhaul that video back to the people who are actually pulling the trigger on the on the howitzers. You know, and they could say, you know, move it to the left a little bit, and you'll get him. You know, and and that's just. I, I was, it, by the way, brief on some of the really amazing apps that they've developed using the Starlink video feeds, and I can't share really the details, but it's just mind-boggling how creative it is, and really, really interesting in advancing how warfare is is done now with real-time video over the battlefield. The future is going to be something like a Starshield style uh, network of satellites uh, up in up in the sky, and you know you're just going to get to plug your various bits of of uh, uh, defense technology into that one network, and that's really the way it's going. And I think you know we've been using shared um, civilian military infrastructure on land. We do do that. Militaries are known to use commercial dark fiber to move data from one site to another. But I think when it comes to something like satellites, this is something that has to be a sovereign capability, and that's what Musk has proved to us. Starshield should be added to AUKUS, perhaps, or maybe the U.S. government should be the service provider for other allied nations by running Starshield for them, right? So lots of opportunities. Well, here. we don't want to trust you. We don't want to trust you too much. Oh, Dimitri. come on! You're getting our submarines that you can't even maintain with our support. So, well, this is why it's look. Funnily enough, that's why it's a trilateral agreement, uh, and Australia would not have done AUKUS as a bilateral deal just with the United States because we've seen that the United States uh, has become a little bit unpredictable lately so definitely a a trilateral agreement that one all right we'll we'll stop there thank you patrick a lot to unpack here this is not a simple story many many layers elon musk is not always in the wrong here in this particular saga 
I think he's done some really terrible things when it comes to the geofence, but I think the Crimea case that everyone's talking about is actually much more of a gray area where he absolutely had the right to say no. All right, we'll end it on that note. Thanks so much for coming in and helping me explain the story, Patrick. Pleasure. Satellites gone way up to Mars. Soon it'll be filled with park and cars.